Hello everyone, and welcome to something a little different. It's Rainy here from DMs After Dark, and as you will realize shortly, um, I'm alone. We are not doing a modified rolls this week, or in fact for probably the rest of 2022, because we have something special planned. Beginning this week, so if you are listening on the day that this podcast drops, uh, we are going to be beginning a brand new series of a Powered by the Apocalypse game called Crossroads Carnival, set in a Depression-era Dust Bowl-like setting with carnival folk run by Amber. Um, unfortunately, I am not going to be able to be taking part in that series. Uh, we will be having a special guest hopefully joining us for the series, but in the meantime, to give us a break as the holiday season comes in and we can start prepping and planning for bigger things to come in 2023, I'm going to be supplementing the off weeks from our stream with some solo play sessions in a new series we've hinted at and teased before that we are going to be calling Playing With Myself on the Internet. It is going to be me playing solo role-playing games and just showing people that you know, sometimes the hardest part of role-playing games is getting a group of adults in a room together to play. Obviously, with virtual tabletops like World 20 and Foundry and all of those, people are able to play more and virtually. Sometimes, though, even that's hard to schedule. So I want to make sure that people know that there are options out there to play solo role-playing games. So without any further ado, let's get into what I'll be playing for the very first series of Playing With Myself. I have quite a few solo role-playing games in my collection uh, that I've amassed in the last few years, and I've seen a few of them done very well on the internet. Uh, there are some really, really great solo actual plays out there with some really great games. I'm going to be playing one that I found that I haven't seen a whole lot of people playing. I've seen some talk about it on the internet, and I think it is so cute and I, I really love the art style of it, so I'm going to be playing a game called Colossal. C-O-L-O-S-T-L-E, like castle, and Colossal. It is a very cool game that, and uh, nudge nudge to Christian when you're listening to this, or all of our listeners who know how he feels about this, it is a card, a deck of card based RPG. So I'm not going to be rolling any dice, I'm going to be flipping cards from a deck of cards to prompt my exploration and combat scenes and weave a narrative off of the cards that are flipped. So I'm really excited to see how this goes. But to talk about it first, let's talk about what Colossal is. I'm going to read right off of one of the pages here about the world of Colossal because I think it does such a great job of painting a picture about the game and the world that I'm going to be playing in. The Colossal is an impossibly massive castle the interior of which is so large that mountains, valleys, towns, cities, and even oceans fill its rooms. The ceilings and roof are so high, they're beyond sight, shrouded by the misty expanse of the sky that sits within its vaulted heights. There seems to be no finding the exterior of the castle, though many adventurers have tried, crossing continental distances only to reach the wall of another room. For those who have ventured past a wall, they find only more rooms on the other side, with new lands stretching off far into the distance. That said, many features you'd expect from the Colossal's normal-sized counterparts are present. Staircases, windows, doorways, balconies, towering statues, burning braziers, 
pillars disappearing into the clouds and long, gloomy corridors. No adventure has yet found their way to the rooftops, the battlements, which they suspect might grant them a view that sheds some light on the true nature of their world. Maybe my character will be the first. Although all manner of threats exist out in the wild, such as strange animals and beasts and barbaric or dangerous people, the greatest dangers of all are the rooks. Huge, hulking stone automatons that patrol somewhat mindlessly out in the wilds of the Colossal's rooms. That is, until they're disturbed. Every rook is different, and there are no two the same, and they are the only source of magic in this world. As such, they are something of a target to hunters looking for tech they can scavenge, artifacts they can sell, or magic crystals to grant them strange and unpredictable powers, but only if you can bring them down. Every room of the Colossal sees daylight thanks to a brazier, a huge burning light source hanging impossibly high in the rafters. At night, the brazier dims to a gentler white light. No one knows how or why this happens, but it's said that some rooms have their own night when others have their day. High atop the columns and nestled in the ceiling rafters live the gargoyles, strange winged reptilian creatures sometimes swooping down from on high to pick off lonely, unsuspecting travelers far from civilization. Little is known about them, but it's said that when a gargoyle attacks, it carries you up to where it lives. Many believe that when you die, your soul is drawn to the front gate of the Colossal, a place immeasurably far from any other known location. The journey of death begins by crossing the moat and discovering the lands beyond. This is but a story, but perhaps it holds some truth. Explorers talk of many strange lands far out in the Colossal, wild jungles spreading up massive staircases, icy polar regions encasing huge human skeletons in glaciers, thin corridors between rooms, arid and dry and filled with desert sands, winds blowing up sandstorms through huge windows. Explorers have theorized that some of the areas of the Colossal have multiple floors before one reaches the mythical battlements. Forests stacked upon deserts, stacked upon oceans, stacked upon mountains and canyons. Life, nature, even people always find a way to live in the most impossible circumstances, and the Colossal is vast beyond imagining. Any combination of lands, peoples, and the castle itself are possible. Who knows what you'll find when you step out to discover what secrets it holds. This game is so cool. It immediately gives me, um, maybe it's because of the art that's in here and just the style of incredibly oversized um, setting, but it kind of gives me a Secret World of Arietti feel, if you guys have ever seen that Studio Ghibli movie. Um, and just to dive a little bit more into how the characters that the character that I'm going to create is going to uh, interact with this world, I kind of want to move right on to character creation. So let's build a character. Creating a character is pretty easy, um, and there are some really cool things about Colossal as a solo role-playing game that make it interesting. Uh, all characters begin with the following. A calling, a nature, a class, and a weapon. And we'll get into this a little bit more. I'm going to start flipping cards and seeing what's going on. So a character's calling could be as simple as the desire to explore and discover new areas of the Colossal, or it could be personal. Chasing after someone who wronged you, looking for a lost loved one, or perhaps that you are the source of a mysterious prophecy. 
Um, the calling is really how you're going to take to the adventure. It's always going to come up uh, when we're dealing with why your character is doing what they're doing. Now, I'm going to flip a card because there's a really interesting little table here. So I'm going to flip the very first card of this game. Here we go. I flipped a jack. Ooh, this is, oh, this is great. I love this. Actually, uh, quickly perusing it, this is one of my favorite ones. So here it goes. A map and a key passed down in your family. The map covers a huge area. You can see multiple rooms, and you've never even seen the edges of your room. Five locations are marked in it with different colored glyphs. The locations look like ancient rook bodies, long since fallen, rotting like ancient temples. The key is an ornate and strange, with a rook symbol carved into its head. It looks like it would fit into a rook. Maybe those five ancient rook bodies are locked, and only you have the key. But what could possibly be hidden within? That's so cool. I love this as a solo RPG, a reason to to go out there and, and discover more about the world. I, I have a map. My family is holding this really cool thing. So let me write down my calling real quick. All right. And so as I flip cards for my exploration phases, um, my calling might be a way that I can weave in details about the prompts and make it all make sense. All right, next up is our character's nature. I haven't decided actually yet uh, if my character is going to be um, male or female or uh, non-binary or age. I'm not sure. I think I'm going to keep them kind of young. I think they're going to be, uh, I again, my mental image of this game is kind of that Arietti anime, maybe almost like Pokemon, maybe like my character, like everyone... Another great uh, role-playing game I have called Ryutama, which is everyone goes on a once-in-a-lifetime journey, obviously once in their life. So maybe it's going to be like a teenager who has convinced his parents, well, I guess I said his, so let's go with it, um, young teenage boy who's convinced his parents to let him go out there and explore the Colossal. This map and this key are just sitting here, so let's see what his nature is. A7. Ooh, introspective, quiet, mysterious, and a person of few words. Maybe that's part of it. They are, um, they show that kind of, um, introspection, that intelligence that has allowed them to become trusted. Uh, they're quiet, they're mysterious, they say very few words, but they seem to be well aware of themselves and their surroundings. And, and maybe they're smart and they're clever and they can, um, make sense of this map or something in ways that, people trust trust them to go out all right so let's write that down wow those of you who know me know it's going to be difficult for me to pay, play a uh quiet person a few words i like to talk a lot but hey let's always try new things right <clears throat> all right the last two things we have to figure out is our class and our weapon so uh, again, classes in Colossal are really cool, and one thing I love about the design of this game is that I'm going to pick a class to start this game, but over the course of playing this game, technically I can get all of the things that the other classes have that make them unique, it's just that I'm going to have to work to find a way to get them. So let me describe the four classes, and uh, and we'll see which one I get, So, or which one I get, which one I pick. So there are four classes... Uh, not including, I do have the the Roomlands second book of Colossal, but for the sake of just jumping into this and, and having some fun with it, I'm just going to go over the base game. Uh, there are four classes. The Armed is um, 
a person from Colossal who literally has an arm from a rook connected to them via a complex ritual, attuning its intention to them. So these people basically have like um, either like a backpack or like a harness that has on their person. It can be like a sword. It can be a hand that can reach out and grab things. It can be a cannon. It can be these crazy things. And basically they have a third arm that can help them in combat against rooks and in exploring the world. It's a really cool, uh, really cool class. The art shows somebody who has like an anchor attached to their back. So I assume, you know, if that thing's connected to a chain, maybe you can launch it up and use it as like a grappling hook, but also you can swing it as a heavy weapon. Another art piece here shows somebody with like a third hand. So you can be dexterous with it. Another class is the followed. Basically they get a little baby rookling. Um, it's so cute. They're like these tiny little, uh, castle looking automatons. And actually it's really neat in the cities of Colossal, uh, there are like rookling creches they're called, and they're like little, uh, nurseries where you can buy a rookling if you want a little companion. So we also have the helmed, the helmed harvest a piece of strange machinery from the core of a rook. And using rituals and a real understanding of the crystal patterns and stones that make up the magic, they're able to create a helm that they wear and operate, granting the magical abilities of the rook it was harvested from. Uh, there's only a little bit of magic in these. I think there's like electric magic, ice magic, and rumble magic, which is earth-based, kind of. And the last one is the mounted the mounted ride an adapted mechanism taken from rook parts as a vehicle or mount to help them traverse across the land and seas of Colossal. Um, this is pretty cool. I like that one. This one shows like somebody who's almost on like a two-legged, um, almost chocobo looking thing. Um, and another person has one that, you know, it looks like uh, it could either be a boat or like maybe a hand glider if you flip it around. You know what? Forget what I said earlier. I think I'm going to make my character the followed. I kind of like the fact that he is introspective, quiet, um, a kid of few words. I think that that makes sense that they would have made a bond. They would have formed a bond, a relationship with a rookling. Um, and the followed has a maxed out exploration score right from the get go. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. I have a map from him, from my family. Uh, my character wants to get out there and explore the world, take a look at this map, use it to to explore these um, relatively unknown lands. And they have a Rookling that they've earned the trust of that they can go on these adventures with. Um, yeah, and that way, you know, maybe they communicate kind of silently. Maybe there's like a connection there. Um, so, yeah, let's make a followed. All right. So in Colossal, there are two stats. Basically, you have a exploration score and a combat score. The followed has a exploration score of five and a combat score of three. That basically it describes how many cards you get to flip for each phase of the game. For exploration phase, I get to flip five cards. Um, and for combat, I get to flip three cards. So... Um, Followed are usually very capable explorers proficient in tracking, survival, and navigation. Combined with their Rookling companions, who often have a sense of direction and knowledge about the world, they're more than equipped to navigate most lands in the Colossal. Uh, Rooklings can vary in size from very small, like the size of a kitten, to the size of a person itself. 
A rookling will have the body and magic characteristics of the rook it was harvested from. So um, let's create my rookling here. To create, it says here to create your first rookling, head to the creating an opponent rooks section. All right, let's do that. Let's jump to there. Oh, I like this. So I get to choose. Uh, I can either choose uh, the magic type and body type, or I can flip cards for it. And you know me, I'm going to keep it random. Let's get crazy here. Um, I'm going to flip cards to determine whether or not my Rookling has a magic type and what kind of body type it has. All right. We flipped a diamond for the very first one, which is magic type. So my Rookling is ice type. And what kind of body type does it have? I flipped an eight, so it is defensive. I think that makes a lot of sense for my introspective, quiet character. Um, a defensive Rookling is going to be good. It's going to help me. Uh, it's going to protect me when I'm out traveling the Colossal. So my Rook is more defensive. Maybe it huddles to fight with thick stone hide or blocks attacks with a huge shield. You know what? I love that. I think that um, I think my Rookling is um is gonna be it's gonna be like it's gonna be small not quite kitten sized but i think maybe um small child sized you know three four feet tall and i think that it has uh these arms that that basically it can manipulate ice from and create like a big shield or two small bucklers and maybe it uh actually let's continue here um what else we need to draw other cards to just to establish what the rook's weapon is um so let's see if it is ranged or melee I flipped a card and it is melee. So I think that we're going to fight kind of um, back to back. We're going to stay close to one another. Um, and yeah, basically it can make its, its two ice shield like hands into these big bulky fists and, and just punch, punch hard with ice fists. That's kind of fun. I like that. All right. So we got a little ice rookling fella friend. Um, all right. So yeah, uh, because we just built this thing, it says here, fighting with Rooklings involves fighting in a partnership with your companion. Uh, my character will have a weapon in their hands, but when I do an unarmed or magic attack, this might be a moment where you command your Rookling to fight or use its magic. Oh, cool. So it has magic too. It's not just a type of magic. So that's neat. It even says here, if it has ice powers, maybe it can roll into a ball and smash its opponents. Nice. Okay. So um, I guess it's punch attacks would be considered magical like ice so that's cool all right um and then finally there's some questions about finishing out filling out your character does your village or clan hate the rooks and did you have to keep your bond with a rookling a secret um at first you know i, I love that kind of prompt actually um because i'm quiet introspective probably liked exploring on my own my parents you know, I knew my parents had a map handed down to them, a key handed down to them. So I decided to become kind of a naturalist, very much like myself. And out there is maybe where I met my ice rookling. So I love that. Um, I did keep it a secret for a while, but eventually I just let it follow me home. And my parents were very understanding. Is my rookling the core of a rook that killed someone close to your character? Ooh. I think this Rookling probably is uh, the core of a Rook that caused some havoc for my local village. 
Um, and when hunters came and took it down, maybe it got away. And that's why we bonded over this. So I know that technically the rook that it came from did um, cause some issues for my local area. Uh, I know my character does not judge the rookling for the actions of the larger rook it was a part of. Is the bond with your rook rookling a reluctant one? Does it follow, but you wish it didn't? No, I think that my character very much embraces uh, this quiet, stoic, icy little friend. Does your rookling have something special about it? A strange crest or a hand that looks like a key? Well, considering I have a key, I don't think so. I think that my rookling... Um, a strange crest. Oh, you know what? I think my rookling... I'm going to write this down. I think my rookling has one of those glyphs that's on one of the pages of my map. We had uh, five rooms on the map, all of which had a different colored glyph on them. So I think it'd be really cool if my Rookling has one of these glyphs. It could be the impetus that caused me to tell my parents, look what I bonded with. I need to get out there. It can take me to the first of these rooms. Oh, I love that. That's very fun. And then think about your Rookling shape abilities and how it would fight in combat. So we discussed, we discussed this. Um, it's probably, you know, a little shorter than I am and uh, has these big icy fists that it can reform into either shields or big, big punching hands. All right. And now that we've finished my Rook, we should probably finish creating my actual character. So we know that they are a introspective, quiet, young teenage boy. Um, so let's just talk about what I think this character looks like. I think that they have a messy kind of that lazy teenager shoulder length tussle of hair. I think that they probably uh, are like a hiker type. So they have muddy boots and kind of, you know, uh, comfortable but practical clothing. I think that they're that loner type, so they keep a journal, and they probably have, like, a walking staff that doubles as their weapon if they were to need it. Um, let's go with, um, I think that they are olive complexion, dark hair, brown eyes, maybe, like, a slightly lighter and interesting, like, almondy brown eyes. Um, and, yeah, they, uh... A lot of the art shows, you know, characters like interesting, uh, maybe they're from rooks, like pauldrons and armor and stuff like that. So I think that they do probably have a little bit of padding uh, that they've kind of scavenged and made into interesting little uh, bits that they wear on their their joints or maybe like a um, like a leather or, you know, like a little armor piece over their chest. And last but not least, we need a name. So I'm going to go to fantasy name generators and... All right, our character's name is going to be, oh, I like this, Marco Key, because his family has a key that has been passed down to them, and a map, but uh, I guess uh, maybe they were, maybe it's some some familial name that's been passed down, um, but yeah, this works out, Marco, this is good. All right, so we have Marco, the young teenage boy, and his rookling, his little ice rookling that he has bonded with, despite the trouble that the parent rook caused his village and he is about to begin his very first journey through the rooms of colossal so 
As we talked about before, in Colossal there are two phases of gameplay. There is exploration phase, and then there is the combat phase. So exploring the lands of Colossal involves using a deck of cards, and we flip a number of uh, cards, and they begin kind of giving us prompts that we can use that represent the adventure. So so no better way to start than to just do it. And uh, let's see, it says here, uh, we get to flip a number of cards equal to our exploration score, which for us, as we discussed, was five. And let's do that, go ahead, five cards. We got a three of hearts, a 10 of diamonds, a six of spades, a three of diamonds, and a 10 of clubs, two threes, two tens. All right, so uh, the way that this works is the number and suit of the cards dictate what you have discovered, but it is up to you how you link these elements together in a mythic adventure. So let's go ahead and consult the charts here. Um, now I can do these in any order, so it's kind of nice to be able to just uh, take a look at them talk about each one and then say, okay, how, uh, how will these prompts kind of resolve themselves? Um, and basically the way that this happens is um, if, if one of these ends up being a combat, then we can resolve that combat basically whenever we want. Um, it can fall anywhere in the exploration phase, right at the start, halfway through, right at the end, whatever we want to do. Um, and then once we've used all of these card prompts and resolved any combats, that's the end of the first chapter of our adventure. And then to start the next, we simply draw a number of cards equal to our exploration score again, and um, we, we go on. So I think that tonight, just to keep it simple, an introduction to uh, this new idea we have for a podcast and to be able to get one nice little chunk of a story, a chapter in here, we're going to do this first chapter and then we'll pick up uh, with it next time. So let's see what these cards got us for an exploration phase. All right, so our three of hearts has to do with our calling, and our three of diamonds does actually as well. So this is very interesting. Over the course of our first chapter, we're going to have two, uh, two instances of this. One, where it says, uh, you come across someone who is key to your calling, which again, we talked about our calling being uh, the map and key passed down to my family and uh, my character's motivation to explore and maybe maybe map. I think that's the plan is to use this map, take notes, discover maybe new places, new opportunities, things like that. Um, so we, we come across NPCs who are key to our calling. Maybe they have a clue about what you're looking for or they're blocking our way to learning more. And what's really interesting about this is that the three of hearts means that I do meet a friendly character. The three of diamonds means I meet a not friendly character. So over the course of this first chapter, um, I think this makes sense too. I imagine um, we didn't get a lot into the world building of Colossal, but there are cities and hubs in the room lands and they all have hunters guilds. So I think a lot of... A lot of this world are people who have settled into these places, and there are hunters who go out and deal with the rooks. Obviously, maps are probably really valuable. Any information you can get, there are probably hunters who go out and take jobs just to map new areas. And my character might have a map that's valuable to people. So over the course of this first chapter, I love the idea of a young, naive, introspective, shy character uh, going on a journey 
But when he meets people, they're interested in the map, right? Like we've all seen that kind of trope where it's like, hey, kid, what do you got? Oh, whoa. You know, and some people will say like, wow, that's a really great opportunity. Let me help you. And some people will be like, I'm going to use this to my advantage. So, all right, let's see where we're going to slot those. I imagine the not friendly one. It says if they block your way, maybe we have a combat there. Let's go to our six. Our six of spades says here, a trap. Maybe it's a hunter's trap or a pit or some old machinery. But luckily, because it was spades and not clubs, I avoid it. So that's cool. So I think I'm going to tie that in with the not friendly NPC encounter. I think maybe my character avoids a trap set for unsuspecting um, travelers in the roomlands. Um, and luckily, that means I might be able to fight my way out of trouble. And lastly, we have our two tens. And because one is a red card and one is a black card. Oh, I should say this. Uh, red cards are organic things like people and creatures. Black cards are scenic things like structures and objects. So our ten of diamonds. Uh-oh. Uh oh, no. Oh, this is really interesting. A ten of diamonds says uh, it's a camp of people. At least they look like people. They walk on two legs and carry tools in two arms. But wait, they're not human who are they and what do they want and because i roll i flipped a diamonds i'm captured and taken prisoner oh this is going to be really interesting to to weave together i love this and then lastly our 10 of clubs says here you come across a city a huge settlement unlike anything you've ever seen before Buildings constructed from rook parts, seemingly motorized vehicles and mechanisms on every corner, and best of all, shops, culture, and hunters, a place of commerce, trade, and meeting. Ooh, this is interesting. Because it's clubs, it's actually abandoned. All right, I think I have a great way to weave all of these together. So give me a second. Let's see here. And we're going to weave this all together into one chapter. As Marco Key, for the first time, leaves his family's village, he's made friends with people of the village, or at least acquaintances, people he's known his whole life and know him. This is the quiet boy, the smart boy. He's helped fix things around town. He's helped people with projects. But he's always kind of kept to himself, been a little bit of a loner, preferred nature to people. Well, ever since he found that little rookling, He's gotten a little more adventurous, and now his family has decided to pass on to him their keepsakes, a map and a key that have been handed down for at least a few generations. The map shows five rooms, each with a different colored glyph. What these glyphs mean, he doesn't know, but he intends to find out. And as if it was destiny, the rookling he has made a bond with bears one of these glyphs. It's blue and sort of in the shape of a spiral but as if it was slashed through from the center down to the bottom left corner. Marco thinks maybe his rookling can lead him in the direction of this glyph. The map does show the village that he lives in, and kind of scattered all around, there are some places on the map left blank. In different directions are these five other rooms. So Marco shows his rookling, and as if the Rookling understands, looks up to Marco, points one of his icy arms in a direction, and the two of them casually stroll away. 
Not long after they leave their village, traveling on relatively well-maintained roads, they come across a homestead. A rare thing in the world of Colossal. It's not safe to live out in the open. It's better to live in one of the cities made out of a fallen rook. Those colossal structures that have been built around and scrapped and all kinds of things created and converted into living spaces and crazy technology with magic from the rooks. But this person, this person seems to be living on their own and doing just fine. As Marco approaches, he sees an older woman um, mounted on a quadrupedal, almost in the shape of like a bull rook, heavily armored and lumbering as it is pulling a plow through fields. She looks up, the mount stops, but before long, they make their way towards the road to confront Marco. They call out, Boy, what are you doing out here? It's dangerous, don't you know? Marco looks up, pats the head of his young, his small, icy rookling, and says, My friend and I decided we had to get out. We have, uh... We have places to be. Huh. Not a lot of places worth being. Take it from me. That's why I settled right here. Where is it you're looking? Marco points out in the direction that him and his rookling are, are heading. He says... Uh, well, we have reason to think that my friend here, there might be something important for both of us in that direction. The lady smiles and says, where are you coming from? Marco explains his home village and the state of it and not, doesn't say much, just kind of gives her what she needs to know. And she smiles and says, well, it's about time I take a break anyway. She hops down off of her mount and says, why don't you join me for a light lunch? I'll give you a drink, you can refresh yourself, and head off on your way. This is the friendly NPC card that we pulled. As Marco is settling in and kind of awkwardly just waiting, not making conversation, the woman is making up for it by being quite chatty. And she's personable. Uh, for somebody living out on their own, conversation is probably something that she doesn't get to do often, and she's quite friendly. Eventually, she spots the the key dangling from Marco's backpack and the map hanging out of one of the pockets. She says, oh, are you, uh, you're young. I didn't expect you to be a traveler. Oh, well, not quite far yet, but yeah, Marco defensively kind of hides the map. But she says, where is it you're heading? And... Without trying to cause a commotion, Marco explains that um, the glyph on his rookling, he thinks that it could possibly be in the direction to the northwest. And the woman smiles and says, oh, well, it's kind of treacherous heading that way, so you might want to be careful. I do know of a crack in a wall, actually. It might be easier for you. They share a light lunch and a drink, and the woman updates Marco's map with a note where there's a crack in one of the many walls of the Colossal. Heading through doorways can be dangerous. Those are often patrolled, but the cracks? If you don't want to be seen, it's another option at least. With a friendly acquaintance made, Marco smiles, 
nods politely and thanks thanks the the farmer and heads off on his way. These other prompts I kind of think work really well together. And I think Marco is the type that would avoid a big city. An introspective, quiet person. I imagine very um, introverted, probably doesn't like big crowds. We've talked about how they're a loner and kind of a hiking naturalist type. So the crack in the wall sounds good. Marco and his Rookling, which I feel like I should give a name, but you know what? We'll tease that, leave that for next time. I'll see if I come up with a fun name for our little icy friend. They make their way off the road, traveling around a pillar that reaches for a sky and a ceiling beyond sight. Um, If you squint enough, you can just maybe basically see a brazier um, or a, like a chandelier kind of hanging from the sky. Um, In the Roomlands book, there's actually a really cool section about the rafters. And technically you can get up there and you can, um, you can explore, but they're very dangerous gargoyles. So we're going to hope not to run into one of them anytime soon. But as Marco and his Rookling make their way towards the crack and not the door to the next room, I think they find it without much trouble. Luckily, this area, this room where Marco's village is, is relatively well established and well um, well developed. As he approaches the crack, however, he realizes there's a reason that these are simply just cracks. Looking into it, It's narrow. It's tight. There's not much light. But if this is a way through, this could be a really interesting place to explore. Not only for potential future uh, travel and making a new trade path or something like that, but also because of where it might come out compared to the doorway to the other room. So Marco and his Rookling begin traveling within the cracks. It's not just narrow and tall. Eventually, the crack loses the light from the outside, but there is light. It streams in from random holes and a labyrinthine set of tunnels opens up around him. His rookling hands to the ground, kind of cautiously making its way ahead stops suddenly. Marco, not so luckily, takes a step forward and almost sets off a trap. Luckily for him, his rookling extends. His icy hands almost kind of pull vapors from the ambient air around them, and his hand uh, freezes and elongates and just grabs onto Marco's back and pulls him forward as a snap of a twig and all of a sudden a tumbling rock just just falls and um, dust and smoke kind of uh, billow up from this trap that Marco just narrowly avoided. That was the trap guard that we pulled. However, this made a lot of noise in a very tight area. That is when Marco realizes he needs to find safety. He needs to get somewhere safe fast. So Marco begins a bit less cautiously making his way through these tunnels in the crack in the wall between rooms. Following his instinct, 
he eventually comes out into a massive cavern. He's not sure if this is still in the wall between rooms, or if this is another room entirely, but it is huge. This is a massive settlement, unlike anything he has ever seen. He's seen pictures, heard stories, paintings of other uh, cities like um, like Parapet or um, other great cities of the Roomlands. This is unlike any of them. A cavern city, almost a perfect dome over the top with minecart-like rails connect stalagmite islands that kind of spring up from the ground of this cavern. You can't really see the bottom. It's There's a mist or moss or something strange on the bottom that is difficult to make out. It plays tricks on the eyes, but stalagmites are jutting up from the ground and they're like almost perfectly cut to a, a level. And on these stalagmite islands that are connected with bridges and staircases that wind up and connect to stalactites hanging from the ceiling, this city is incredible. However, there's no light. There's no sound. Marco's suspicious, but at the same time, there could be really interesting things here. There could also be very dangerous things here. As he moves forward, this is where we're going to meet our second NPC. Psst. Hey, kid. A man in a dark cloak over heavy armor with a sword on his hip and a larger sword coming off of an arm on his back, looks down at Marco from a perch on one of these mine cart rails. What are you doing here, kid? Don't you know this isn't where you want to be? Marco looks up and says, I, I was told that this is a, a way into the next room. Yeah, it's a way to the next room, all right. But, uh, not a safe one. Don't you know hunters come in here all the time? There's a rook living in these caves, in this crack. You gotta be really careful, kid. That's what I'm after, actually. He looks down at the rookling, traveling alongside Marco, and says, You better hope that thing can hold its own in a fight, because, uh, I doubt you're gonna get out of here without seeing something strange. The man cocks his head and looks and says, Hey, what's... I've seen that symbol before. Yeah. Yeah, you get through here and you go to the other side of this uh, this crack, you go to the next room, there's a plateau. Stretches up higher than you could think. Some people say it was a table for giants. Others say it's a wall that fell in on itself. I don't know. All I know is, I've seen that symbol before, carved into the side of it. Where'd you get this, little rookling kid? Marco defensively stands in front of his rookling. The rookling, not so scared, puts his fists up. You know what? He puts his fists up like those 1920s boxers. Hey, let's go. What do you want? You want to fight here? Um, and the man just smiles and laughs and says, I don't know. He goes, must have been part of a pretty impressive rook. What else you got here, kid? He hops down. And the two of them kind of circle one another. Marco cautiously trying to back away, find a way out, run into the city, the abandoned city. The other man looking for an opportunity to strike. And I think I'm going to I'm just going to flip a card random. I'm going to say if it's hmm, I'm going to say if it's red, um, if it's red. 
the man strikes first, and we're going to have our first combat. And if it's black, Marco sprints into the city. Either way, I have an idea of how this could be interesting. It is black. So, Marco, holding the man's attention, cautiously circling him, he looks and he says, Run! And the rookling in him sprint into the city, and the guy goes, Oh, why'd you have to make this difficult kid? Come on! And he sprints after the young, after young Marco. Marco's pretty quick, and he manages to get into the city. However, remember what we pulled from the other card. Um, our ten of diamonds is that there's a camp full of people. At least they look like people. They walk on two legs and carry tools and two arms, but they're not actually human. So what are they? I think these, and these are brought up a little bit in, um, in the Roomlands second book. But I'm going to say, technically, they're also a class where you can play a, like, big human-sized rookling with, like, human intelligence. But that doesn't mean they're all good. So I think that these are, these are rooks. These are rooklings of colossal rooks. So um, in the past, there were rooks even larger than those that roam the colossal today. And they are the ones that entire cities are built out of their husks. These are, I'm going to say they're like eight or nine foot tall rook-like creatures. And all of a sudden, Marco, in attempting to escape this strange hunter, runs right into the middle of this camp. The hunter, in giving chase also runs right into this camp and he goes, oh, no, kid, now you did it. Oh, we're in trouble. And we're going to go into our first combat. Now, because this is a solo game and it's a storytelling game, I'm not afraid of losing, really. I mean, my character can die, but I think that for the sake of the fiction and for a nice, uh, juicy bit of drama, I think what I'm going to do, I know I'm going to go into this fight having lost um but how this happens and and what we can do is uh is, is going to be different so i'm going to create my opponent similar to how i created my rook there is a creating your opponent section in um in the book and i'm going to do it just like i created my rook earlier and i'm going to create ro- a rook but this one rook is basically going to be comprised of like the five or so um smaller yet larger rooks. All right, so flipping, we have a diamond. They are also ice type. Ooh, this could be really interesting. Oh, oh, I like, I. this is already giving me ideas. I flipped a three, so they are attack body types, whereas mine is defense body types. Ooh, um, their weapon type is melee. And I'm going to flip for a reward now, but we're going to see. I doubt I'm going to get that reward because, uh, as we already know, I'm going to be taken prisoner by this camp. Um, So I'm not going to get this reward, but maybe I'm going to save this as a note for in the future because maybe we can justify a way story-wise as to why um, something more interesting might happen. So we have an ice-type melee attack body form uh, set of these rooks. Ooh, I like this. I think what they have is probably um, where my small rookling 
makes a shield and big uh, crazy fists. I think these kind of have icicle-like spear arms that can like extend or, you know, um, frost blade kind of arms on them. And good or evil or whatever their intentions may be, two, <laughs> two humans just stormed into their camp, uh, all kinds of worked up, and they're going to defend whatever it is that they are doing here. So, it is time to fight. Let's talk about combat in Colossal. So, much like the exploration phase, I get to draw a number of cards equal to my combat score, which for my followed character is only three compared to the five I have in exploration. Now, normally, this does say that it is, it was supposed to be a camp of people. So, th the two ways you create opponents are it's either another person which this hunter was going to be, or a rook. And there are medium rooks and massive rooks. I'm going to consider this group of rooks one medium rook. So they are also going to have a combat score of three. So I flip three cards for me, and then I flip cards for my opponents. So let's see. Uh, the way that fights work is I have to counter my opponent's attack cards with cards from my face-up options. So I'm going to draw my three cards and put them in front of me. I've drawn, oh no. This is bad. A two of hearts, a jack of clubs, and a seven of hearts. So again, number and suit matter. And now I'm going to um, flip the first of my opponent's cards and flip it face up in front of me. It is, oh no, it is a jack of diamonds. So I need to counter this. I need to allocate one of my options. I can beat it with a higher number. And even if I can't beat it, I have to allocate one of my lower ones anyway and mark a wound against myself, then prepare for the next attack. And then this proceeds back and forth until um, one of us has wounded the other. So they just flipped a jack of diamonds. Diamonds represent creative attacks. Uh, spades are unarmed, clubs are weapons, hearts are magic, and diamonds are creative. So I think what happens is this is teamwork. Um, we see that these rooks, maybe they're a hive mind, or maybe um, they're just incredibly well-trained and used to working together. So I think what they do is they kind of immediately all split up, and what they're going to do is they're going to um, drag their ice spears and swords along the ground and kind of create this um, like hoarfrost, spiky kind of surface that makes it very difficult for us to get footing on the ground, and it might it might... You know, maybe they're so big and thorny and sharp that they, they pose a danger. Um, I'm not going to pull for our ally. Actually, you know what? I'm going to pull one additional card to represent this other hunter. Um, and I'm going to use it almost like a wild card. He's not an ally by any means, but he is not going to just um, deal with this fight. So I'm going to use that as like a wild card. However, if I use that card and they win... I'm going to say that they can either get away or we'll, we'll see how that develops. And for them, ooh, I just flipped a king of spades. So that's a very strong card, um, which makes sense. This is a hunter with a sword, and then their arm has a sword as well. They're, they clearly are an offensive type of character. So I'm going to, I believe, let's see. So if I were to, I only have a two, a jack, and a seven. So this is rough because I can put my jack up against this jack. And my jack of clubs would be a weapon attack. 
Um, I believe, let's see. I believe if I have the same number, it does counter it. So let's just see. If the card equals that of the incoming attack, it is a clash and your player does not receive a wound. So I think that is exactly what's going to happen is they've done this creative plan to kind of make the battlefield advantageous for them. But I think I'm going to use this. This is a weapon attack. Um, I have a staff, like Marco has a staff that we talked about. But I think that this is where the Rookling is going to jump in. And they're going to use their two massive um, frozen fists and just slam the ground. And all of the ice that they just kind of built up just kind of like shatters and becomes... Um, not as advantageous as they probably would have hoped. So my Rookling uh, does come to my aid. And I think that that guy sees this and goes, hey, all right, that's more than I expected from the little guy. And he pulls his sword out um, and prepares for the next the next attack. We flip the next card for these uh, these medium Rooks, this, this squadron. Maybe what there should be a word for this. Um, a regiment of ice Rooks. We flipped their card. It is a six. All right. It is a six of clubs. It is a weapon attack. And I do have a seven of hearts. So uh, because it is a heart, that means it's a magic attack. So once again, uh, Marco's not going to be doing much here. Um, Marco is um, has his staff out. But again, um, maybe because my Rookling just completely negated their battlefield tactics. Uh, one of these... One of these uh, rooks goes after my small little rookling, and they go to jab at it. They go to the spirit with their their um, icy arm, and Marco's rookling gets their two hands up, makes that shield, and what they do is they actually slam their two fists together to create that one big shield, but what it does is they do it at the perfect time, and it actually snaps off the tip of the shield. I'm going to use the seven of hearts to def to overcome the six. So it says here... A higher number will beat the attack, and I become victorious in combat if I've defeated the majority of my opponent's incoming attacks. So if I were to fight a medium rook, for example, like this one, I would need to have defeated two out of the three of its incoming attacks. Now we know that I'm going to be taken prisoner. So, because, and not to mention, I only have a two left. My rookling is only doing so much. I've negated one with a clash, uh, which does not count as a um, defeat. I did just defeat one of them, and I'm going to flip my third card, which is an eight of clubs. So a weapon attack with an eight. Now, here's how I'm going to justify this. My Rookling, because I have only a two of hearts left, and that is a magic attack. My character cannot do magic, so my Rookling has to be the one to do this. Um, as they are engaged with another one, um, I cannot defend. They try and split their two arms and create two shields so they can defend against this second rook that is attacking uh, Marco, but they are overcome. And um, I think Marco and his rookling are going to be surrounded. However, I'm going to use the king as a wild card, that king of spades, uh, which is an unarmed attack, um, which I'm just going to kind of say is this other hunter kind of shouldering his way out of this combat. Um, and he creates a diversion and gets himself out and he goes, Hey, sorry, kid. Good luck though. And he's going to get out of here as Marco and his Rookling are unfortunately surrounded and now taken prisoner in the abandoned city in the crack in the wall of Colossal. And I think 
That's a pretty great place to stop this episode and find out what happens with this regiment of ice rooks next time. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's a pretty awesome place to stop. Uh, I love already where this is kind of going. Um, just flipping cards, following prompts, and seeing uh, what you can build. Uh, I love this this introverted kid who's going on an adventure getting lost in a crack between walls. That's so much fun. So, hopefully you guys enjoyed the very first episode of Playing With Myself on the internet. If you're going to miss Modified Roles or 1D6, 1D4 and our, um, our bi-weekly off-stream week episodes, definitely reach out to us on our social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter which I think is still a thing. I don't know. I, I've heard it's going downhill. Um, but reach out to us on social media, or if you want, email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. Let us know that you're missing it. Give us ideas for our modified roles. Uh, we do have a pretty big uh, kind of series that we're planning for modified roles when we start the new year, um, and we're all kind of prepping to do some stuff with that. If you're listening to this the day that it drops... Uh, this Friday we are beginning our Crossroads Carnival series so please tune into that uh, our twitch.tv slash dmsafterdark every other Friday at 7pm ish we're streaming RPGs that you should be playing um, please if you have a second rate and review our podcast on whatever you're listening to um, it really goes a long way just for our podcast to be found and seen and heard by more people um, rating and sharing uh, costs you nothing but it's priceless to us obviously if you tune in our twitch give us those bezos bucks because jeff bezos certainly doesn't need them and it's things we can use to always improve our audio quality um and just to do more fun gaming stuff for you guys um i'm not as good as, as sarah at this um i'm not gonna apologize um because i think this is pretty cool and i'm really excited to revisit marco and his map and his key and his rookling oh my god i, I love this um, everybody go check out Colossal. I will link where you can get it. I will link the website in the uh, show notes. Um, it's pretty cheap. I'm probably going to buy the hardcover book because this is just so, so cool. Um, written and illustrated by Nick Angel. So, hey, Nick, you are doing an incredible job. <laughs> I love this. Um, so, yeah, until next time, go explore. Bye. Let's get a good shuffle sound in here.